I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. This is the Red Sox Precap with your hosts, Keaton DeRocher and Shelley Verstraight. Part of the Over the Monster Podcast Network. And welcome back to the Over the Monster Podcast for episode 218 of our wonderful show. I am your host, Jake Devereaux, and today, as always, I am joined by my friend and co-host, Keaton DeRocher. What's up, my friend? Not much. Been a busy Monday, but happy to be talking to you. Yeah, man, it sure has. Um, you know, we're we're recording this a little bit later than we usually do. Uh, post Sox game, post Bruins game for for my benefit here, um, which uh, unfortunately didn't end the way that I wanted it to. Um, but we're going to be talking about lots of great topics here on this show. Uh, we're going to get you caught up on some news and notes, including some Chris Sale updates, uh, the players to be named later in the Benintendi trade. We'll talk about that. And then we're going to hit on the bullpen uh, quite a bit, as well as the leadoff situation for this team before we get to some listener questions. So let's get right into it, Keaton. We have no time to spare. Um, so Red Sox are uh, currently hot. Uh, they've won, what is this, their fifth win in a row or sixth win in a row? I think fifth? it's their fifth, yeah. Five. Yeah, five in a row right now, including a sweep of the freaking Yankees in the Bronx, which made me uh, very, very, very happy. Um, they're they're currently 37-23, and 23, which is uh, the best they've been 
uh, or the most games over 500 they've been this year. And they're just a half game behind the Rays. Five and a half games up on Toronto and a whopping six games up on the New York Yankees. Doesn't that make you happy? It sure does. Especially that that sweep. I mean, I know a lot of things didn't go right last year, but every time we face the Yankees, just getting crap dumped on our head doesn't feel great. Like, I would be fine with a season where the Red Sox win 15 games, literally 15 and 37. <laughs> and all 15 wins are against the Yankees. I would consider that season a success. <laughs> so it was nice to finally, and in their house, get a nice little sweep, vaulted us right back up uh, into almost a tie here uh, with Tampa Bay after slipping a bit, and they came back down to life. I feel a lot better this Monday than I did a week ago when we recorded. Yeah, it's not too typical to uh, get a sweep in the Bronx, so that was pretty nice. And I think the way that it happened, too, just the fact that you know, the Red Sox did face some adversity at different times in that series and were able to bounce back and get key contributions from so many guys. Uh, it, it just felt really good. And it also just felt good, you know, the old uh, well-laid plans by the Yankees just going awry. And that lineup <laughs> that we've talked about, you know, so much on this show uh, for the Yankees is being overrated. You know, the rest of the nation is starting to see that this is a – historically bad uh yankees lineup um so you know i'm proud that we pointed that out keaton yeah and completely unrelated to anything we're talking about right now but it just kind of perked in my mind um but you're a you're a well-traveled man who knows history and words um why is it that the uh, best laid plans of men get compared with those best played laid plans of mice i have no idea yeah, why why are they included in that saying? I don't know. Yeah, no clue. Weird. Anyway, yeah. yeah. Sorry to let you down there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's all right. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, we'll move off of our Schadenfreude here uh, to to talking about um, you know what this means for the rest of the division. It's obviously going to be a dogfight here. You know, we spent last week talking a lot about. Uh, what this upcoming stretch of 17 games in a row was going to mean to the Red Sox in terms of where they're going to be uh, as sellers. Um, Still a long ways to go in this 17 game stretch, but you know, the sweep of the Yankees winning, you know, that, that one off against Miami to complete the sweep of that series, Um, you know, now facing a a tall task with Houston coming in. Um, They've got, They've got a lot to go, but I feel pretty good about this right now. How are you feeling? Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to feel good after five straight wins, including a sweep of the Yankees. I think, um, <clears throat> I feel like the mood could probably get swung either way with the series against the Astros after they just kicked their butts uh, a mere four games ago. I'm right back at it again. It looks like the pitching matchups line up a little bit more favorably favorably for the Red Sox this time. So um, hopefully that actually, you know, stays true. But uh, it's not. It's going to be a tough series if they take two out of three, um, or by some uh, wild magic sweep the Astros. Um, I think you and I both in, <clears throat> in last week's roundtable thought that the Red Sox should be 
buyers coming to down to the line. I don't think you need to wait until you get through that stretch. Like having a strong showing against the Astros, strong showing against the Yankees, I would feel good about it. Especially only being a half game back from Tampa Bay right now. Like the playoffs are well within reach, and even a division title, and you know the potential to make a deep run as they did have the best record in baseball for a stretch here. Um, I've seen all that I need to see. I think they can do it, which is completely ass backwards to how I was coming into the season. I didn't think they had a shot, but you, Mr. Mr. Optimistic nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) And here we are, uh, with a fun little baseball team. So I don't, yeah, it's, I think if they get swept again by the Astros, then they need to kind of take, take stock. The Astros are a really good team. They got off to a slow start. They had a ton of injuries. So it was kind of tough to judge how they actually looked. Like, their pitching coming into the, the, the four-game series against the Red Sox was ranked 26th in Major League Baseball. Three out of the four starters that the Red Sox faced, though, had ERAs under three. Mm. But they were hurt. And yeah, so they right. didn't have a lot of innings. And so the guys that they had replaced them were terrible. They just didn't have depth. Now they got them all healthy. The lineup is still one of the best in baseball. And now it's kind of just all clicking. If they can keep pace... Like, winning, taking two out of three would be three and five in the eight games. Uh, wait, no, that doesn't make sense. Four and three would be seven games. Three. <laughs> Math is hard. Anyway, they would split four, four three. Yes. Yeah, so that would be pretty even. That would be keeping pace with them. I'd feel pretty good about that. If the Astros stomp them again, then they might have to kind of take stock of where they think their position is in the American League. But I don't think it's far behind them. It, I mean, it's clearly above... Toronto and the Yankees, who we thought were going to have a really good year, but have been killed with terrible pitching and injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, and now there's space between the two. So, yeah, I think I don't think I need to get through the entire stretch to have a, a good feel on where the Red Sox are. I think after this Astros series, we'll know. Yeah, I agree with you um, because I, I think the Astros are a much more complete baseball team than Toronto or Atlanta, the two teams uh, coming up after them. Um, and you know, thankfully, uh, as I knew nothing about this guy, Luis, what was it? Luis Garcia from Houston, who just destroyed us, uh, in the last start. And you were pointing out that Shelly had said he was pretty good and lo and behold, he was pretty good. So I'm happy we avoid him this time, but we have some favorable matchups there. You know, Martin Perez versus Framber Valdez. It's hard not to feel good about Martin Perez, the way he's throwing the ball. Evaldi looked awesome against the Yankees. He's going against Jake Odorizzi, who kind of sucks. And then Eduardo Rodriguez, if he can continue to use that changeup, uh, going against old man Zach Granke. I mean, Granke's awesome. So that that's probably a bit of a toss-up there. But, you know, I like that the Red Sox have been playing a little bit better at home. So, yeah, I agree with you. But the other thing I think that factors into this too, Keaton, is that, you know, regardless of what they do against the Astros, Red Sox probably could stand to add to this team anyway because as uh chris hatfield of Sox prospects has pointed out online and a few other writers have picked up on this they have a kind of a tremendous amount of guys that need to be uh added to the 40-man roster uh after this upcoming season or they risk losing them to the rule five draft so there is like a fair amount of fungible guys that are pretty good like good enough for other teams to be interested in trading for them that you know, even if they don't do the big splash that we really want them to do, like go out there and get Max Scherzer or something, like they can definitely go out and address 
second base or or first base or you know plug left field or, or you know something like that um, or pick up a reliever or, or whatever like they they've got the depth to do it because Bloom's done such a good job of collecting assets over the last couple of years. Yeah, I would agree with that. And that was the topic of uh, last week's roundtable. Essentially, was how early is too early for the Red Sox to be buyers? If you believe they should be buyers, uh, what was your response to that? Uh, I really didn't address the how early part. Uh, I basically said that they've already shown enough uh, that they should be buyers. So you know, I'm I'm in on this team. I've seen enough at this point. I've seen consistency through the rotation. A good enough bullpen, which we'll talk about later on in the show today, um, and an excellent offense. So I am full in on investing. I think pulling the trigger on a deal anytime between now and the All-Star break or multiple deals is smart and, uh, you know, uh, deserved for this group who has just battled back time and time again. They, you know, lead the league. We've talked about this in um, comeback victories, and I just don't think that that's any sort of weird fluke or coincidence. Alex Cora has these guys playing really inspired baseball. And you saw that in the Yankees series, how whenever they got down, it was just, there was just complete belief in their ability to come back. Uh, and, you know, Xander basically willing the team to victory in that last game. It was, it was pretty amazing to see. It sure was. Maybe a little help from uh, old blue there behind the plate, but it's <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, little Chris Sale update here. Uh, things are trending up. He had a successful bullpen sesh uh, last week. And, uh, you know, Cora said on the radio today that he might be facing some live hitters soon. So he is actually uh, with the team this week and uh, throwing at Fenway. So it's starting to get exciting. You know, if if you look at the timeline for him right now, it kind of looks like he could be back right around the All-Star break, maybe a week or so after, but right around that area if everything continues to trend well. Yeah, I'm really excited about this, particularly because the starting pitching has been so good, and then to be able to add healthy Chris Sale to that is just... I want it. I want it, man. I mean, that's the kind of thing, like, having him back and even just his presence is going to be enough to spark the rest of the rotation to continue their success or, like, even take it up a notch just because he's back. So, like, yeah, even if it takes him a bit to adjust to being back on the mound again, which, but, I mean, let's be honest, it probably will. Just come back from Tommy John. happens to everyone. Um, just the fact that he's there and his mere presence is going to be a lift to everybody in the dugout. Yeah, I mean, in any role that he comes back, you know, I, I assume that they will want him in a starter's role uh, when he comes back. But, you know, even if initially um, the starting rotation, let's just say everybody's going really well in the starting rotation and he is not quite stretched out enough. Like even if they used him in a Garrett Whitlock role for a little while until he got fully stretched out, that would be a weapon, a game changing weapon. Uh, in the bullpen, and you know, Cora was saying this. I, I think it was, yeah, I think it was Cora who said this, or maybe no, it was Bloom. It was Bloom, um, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he was talking about how, you know, Sale and Duran potentially could be 
just as big or bigger than any sort of additions that could be made on the trade market. And those are coming internally, uh, potentially later in the year. I'm fine with that, but I just don't want... I'm just going to be annoyed if people are like, oh, we don't need to make any moves at the trade deadline because getting Sale and Durant is like we made a trade at the deadline. No, they're already on the on the roster. It doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm with you, man. I, I think it's it's better to go overboard here than it is to be conservative, especially with the team uh, performing the way that they have. So, you know, I, I love the news about Chris Sale. Um, and, you know, as we've seen with some of these other guys, like Syndergaard having a setback, there's no guarantee that you come back healthy from Tommy John. So right now, the fact that we haven't really gotten any negative news is tremendously positive at this point. Yep, that's it. Um, all right. So the thing that we promised you would be resolved um, last week on the podcast, the players to be named later in the uh, Andrew Benatendi trade have finally come through. So Keaton, tell us all about these players that we are getting back. Yeah, the Red Sox received uh, right fielder Freddie Valdez from the Mets, who Fangraphs had ranked uh, number 18 in their system. Uh, they also landed Grant Gambrell from Kansas City, a uh, 23-year-old, uh, li- listed as a relief pitcher. Um, we'll see if that that is actually how the Red Sox end up utilizing him. Uh, he was ranked number 21 on Kansas City's Fangraphs list. And then Louis De La Rosa, 18 starting pitcher who was not on Fangraphs Kansas City's uh, top prospect list, which went 51 deep. So mm-hmm. he is uh, deep in that system, of Kansas it's City. A deep cut. Yeah, real <laughs> deep. Um, I mean, this is kind of what we expected we were going to get like back end top 30 guys, or in some cases beyond. <laughs> right. Um, Plus Josh Winkowski, though, right? True. Yeah. Who, who's true. been great. Yep. I think um, because these guys are so young, uh, Valdez is 19, Taylor Rose is 18, um, we got a lot to see. Uh, these are basically just moonshots that you're hoping hit. Um, chances are they probably won't, but if you find something in, in one of these guys, then you know, that's kind of the plus. So this is basically exactly what we thought we were going to get in the players to be named later. Um, they're kind of interesting. They're really young. They have far out ETAs. Maybe they'll work out. Yeah. And I think the guy who interests me most is Freddy Valdez, who you said came in at 18th on that uh, Mets list for fan graphs. He was 17th on the Mets list for baseball America. Uh, and in his scouting report for uh, baseball America, you know, they note a couple things that are interesting about him. First of all, he signed for 1.4 million, uh, which is a pretty big bonus for a J2 guy out of the Dominican Republic, uh, and they recorded uh, some pretty sexy exit velocities uh, from him. So uh, they said in the same neighborhood as prospects Brett Batty and Mark Vientos, who are two super strong guys, and they even noted uh, a 450-foot home run that he hit. So it seems like there's some pretty damn good power here, 6'3", 210 pounds already at his age. Um, So, you know, this is a... Very physical player. Uh, there is swing and miss to his game, but you know it, it seems like the power is good and the approach is pretty decent. So um, I'm very intrigued by by Freddie Valdez, and you know sometimes these J two guys they pop. Um, so it's nice to get a few lottery tickets. 
Yeah, De La Rosa is a, li- a little interesting to me as well. Um, I mean, you know, from our time doing Dynasty's Child, I love me some J2 signees. Mm-hmm. All in on those. Um, he was actually the uh, Kansas City Dominican Summer League Pitcher of the Year. Oh, wow. Um, in 2018, as an 18-year-old, had a 2.33 ERA, uh, 10 in runs in 38 and two-thirds innings, and that was 52 strikeouts with a .9 whip and a one nine seven batting average against. So it's it's hard to um, kind of figure out what you might be able to project from that because it wasn't stateside and it was in a developmental league, so it was with a bunch of other guys who were trying to develop at the game of baseball. Yeah. Uh, so he could have been just a little bit more developed than them or he could just be a little bit more talented than them. We'll have to wait to see. Um, but certainly not a bad start to uh, you know his minor league career. Yeah, definitely an interesting guy, and you know we won't know who truly won the Benintendi trade until like I don't know what five six years down the road at this point. Yeah, um, but I feel good enough about the full return for Benintendi that I'm totally fine with it. I'm not having any second thoughts. Are you? I mean, yeah, I had second thoughts from the beginning. <laughs> but but that was just because we disagreed on whether or not he could get back to yeah his old self. I thought he could do it in Boston. Um, you you didn't, but I think you know they're doing fine without him. So maybe maybe not. Yeah, like I don't think they would be uh, any different uh, where they are in the standings with or without Benintendi. Interesting. Okay. Um. Well, speaking of one of the pieces that was involved in said Benintendi trade, what's going on with our man Franchi? Yeah, Franchi, um, I can't remember. Well, it must have been two podcasts ago. Um, we brought up that might be nice to see him go down AAA, uh, get regular at bats, kind of right the ship a bit before giving it another go. Um Ship looks like it's being righted <laughs> pretty well. Uh, nine games down in AAA so far, slashing 378, 410, 838, four dingers. That'll do, pig. That'll do. Yeah, that feels pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, hopefully this stint gives him his confidence back. He is not as bad of a big leaguer as he looked like when he was up here. Something was off. Confidence was off. Whatever. I don't know what it was, but hopefully these regular at-bats and this success propels him to be a useful piece here in the future. Because I I still have confidence that there's something there. Yeah. I mean, he has yet to actually make it through a season healthy, first of all. So the fact that he hasn't gotten hurt yet has got to be good for his confidence. But particularly in Boston, like when you start struggling and it doesn't get better... The pressure just snowballs at an absurd rate that I think he needed to take a step back, get down to AAA, kind of get his confidence back, give it another go. I think I'm with you. I think um, he definitely is better, a better major leaguer than when he showed in his first kind of dish here with the Red Sox. Um, I don't know if he's like going to be lineup changing, Mm -hmm. but it was so bad, like, that's that's just not you have to be able to get more like particularly um you barely hit for power which is his literal calling card yeah <laughs> so, that was the like, weirdest thing yeah and I, I think that like 
he's not going to blow you away with average, but kind of like something similar to Renfro where you're hitting like 250, 260 um, isn't much to ask. Yeah. It kind of I, feels like where he should be while like hitting a bunch of homers. Uh, and he wasn't anywhere near it either of those. So I think just kind of getting his feet right in AAA is exactly what he needed. And um, hopefully this continues for like another couple of weeks and then he can come back and try again. Um, I think he can eventually be what Renfro is now at some point. Um, I, I think that's in there if he can stay healthy and get his confidence right. I think that's a good comp for him. I've always kind of thought that was the comp uh, for him. But if you haven't checked out any of the uh, Franchi uh, home runs from down in Worcester, the park, you know, really flies out with the jet stream there. So um, some of those shots were majestic. So I do recommend watching some Franchi home run videos if you haven't had a chance. Because we didn't get to see any in Boston. We saw one <coughs> really far. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> How far did that sucker go? It was like 470 or something dumb. Yeah. Yeah. Four, was... 474. Ugh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, moving on. Um, our main topic of the night is discussing the bullpen. Um, the bullpen has been really, really interesting. So over the last two weeks from uh, the 24th of May, Adam Adovino, Garrett Whitlock, Josh Taylor, of all people, uh, Darwins and Hernandez have thrown 16.1 innings or 16 in a third innings, as I'm trying to train myself to say, <laughs> and not allowed a run. Uh, that's pretty good. Um, and in particular, you know, Josh Taylor has been impressing the hell out of me. Um, Sawamura, who we didn't list here, had a very impressive outing against the Yankees as well over two innings this weekend. I mean, talk to me about the bullpen, Keaton. This has been an area that you've been paying a lot of attention to this year. Uh, and in particular, like some of the guys who we left for dead, like Josh Taylor, have come roaring back and are now looking like the best version of themselves that we've seen at any point. Yeah, some of those names are expected. Uh, Ottavino, Whitlock, even Joe Winsor Hernandez has his hot streaks, so two weeks of no runs, sure. But Josh Taylor is the one that really stuck out. And the biggest hat tip to him is that yesterday uh, against the Yankees on Sunday, uh, up one in the eighth, Josh Taylor came in to bridge to Barnes after Ottavino had cleared the seventh. Uh, major nod from Alex Cora to Josh Taylor 
for his success over the past couple weeks. His success actually extends even further than that. Uh, the last two weeks, I don't think he's given up a run in a month. Um, started out with an ERA after hit first handful of starts, ERA over fourteen. Now it's down to almost under four, uh, and it just continues to rack up strikeouts and, and be dominant. And the fact that he came in in, in the eighth in a one-run game to bridge to Barnes. I think says a lot about how much confidence Cora has with the way that he's pitching right now. And it's hard not to buy into it because it's been such an extended streak. Josh Taylor was one of the guys that um, Alex Cora had named specifically um, in his time away from the team last year that he was looking for uh, them to develop, um, apparently stayed in touch, uh, and was hoping that he could start to kind of build off of his fastball more. Um and become kind of that more elite, high-leverage reliever. He had a really bad 2020, though, and had a really bad start to this year. And had I was COVID ready to, in 2020, didn't he, too? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was ready to just toss him aside. Had a pretty strong 2019, so he had at least had some kind of um, you know track record of being successful. Cora obviously stuck with him. And, and, you know, Josh Taylor repaid the faith with kind of becoming one of the, the back-end relievers that the, the Red Sox can rely on. I mean, I think I came into the season with only Ottavino and Barnes as people that I felt confident about in a close game. And I feel confident about all of these guys, plus Saramora uh, and Barnes. The fact that they have so many options to bridge a five, six, seven inning start to the end of the game now is... Such a game changer. We've seen over the past couple of years how not having those guys and those specific roles uh, just wreaks havoc on your bullpen. And the fact that they have now have these guys and multiple options um, to get there. I mean, this is one of the best bullpens in Major League Baseball right now. It's hard not to feel confident whenever they kind of go out there. And I, I'm at the point now with Josh Taylor that uh, when he comes in, I'm not holding my breath, which... I was doing for quite a while. So, uh, but I think it's a big deal that he got the eighth inning um, and was sandwiched between Ottavino and Barnes because if that's going to be consistently like the back three, basically, uh, the seventh, eighth, and ninth, that's going to be really hard to score runs. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you. And, and I think that uh, the thing that stood out to me during Josh Taylor's last outing against the Yankees. Um, in particular was that fastball velocity for him. We hadn't seen, you know, 96, 97 consistently um, from him. Uh, and, and we hadn't seen quite that bite on the slider either. So, you know, the guy finally looks fully healthy. And I think this is one of Cora's best traits as a manager. Um, and, and at times I think it does hurt him. But I think by and large it is a positive trait uh, that he, he stays with guys. You know, he stayed with – with Kike, uh, you know, during his cold streak, uh, he stayed with Marwin, which delivered huge this weekend against the Yankees during his cold streak. And he stayed with Taylor during that awful month where, you know, we were both banging the drum for him to go get option so he could figure things out uh, in AAA. And, and I also uh, have to give Cora props for doing what we've been banging the drum for him to do with Hirokazu Sawamura and actually inserting him into key situations into games more often. That two-inning hold that he had against the Yankees on Friday was incredible. Dude came in, he, he had five strikeouts, one walk over two innings, 
and held the Yankees in check. It was it was awesome, and he was unflappable. So um, I just love a guy like that in the bullpen. And you're absolutely right, Keaton. I mean, the amount of weapons that they have, coupled with the fact that you know the guys lower down, Phillips Valdez got a save in that game uh, on Sunday night against the Yankees. Um, that was a trip. <laughs> it really was. And the pep talk from Cora, you know, coming out and speaking to him in Spanish, and you know, Xander noted that in his post game. Uh, interview like how important he thought that was um it's just it's huge the, i guess the the guys i have the least confidence in in the bullpen right now are brandon workman and matt andres but like i'm confident andres will figure it out i don't know what we have in workman but whatever <laughs> i feel so much better about this bullpen than i did a couple weeks ago and i think it's a legitimate strength it, it's hard to complain about the pitching right now yeah uh, even myself as old negative Nancy, uh, I don't have anything to complain about. <laughs> yeah. As hard as I try, they've taken it all away from me. I guess the the one of the scarier guys out of the guys who we talked about in a positive light is Darwin's and Hernandez. He still can be a little fast and loose at times, um, but his stuff is so good he gets himself out of these jams. Yeah. I mean, we've seen him go through these spurts. He had one earlier uh, in the year where he went, um, what was he, went nine nine innings and had like 24, 25, 26 strikeouts. Um, his one, I mean, I don't necessarily need him to be that good all the time, but consistent because his stuff is good enough to play up like that. Right. Well, moving on from the bullpen, Keaton, um, I think it's worth talking about the leadoff situation. This is something that you've yeah. been monitoring quite a bit uh, over the course of uh, this season, and it was Kike's job for most of the year. But recently, uh, Cora has been turning to uh, Danny Santana in that role. Um, he hasn't been very effective as a leadoff hitter either. Um, it seems like this is one area where the Red Sox are still struggling to find their way. You know, J.D., Xander, Devers, Renfro, um, Cora has been vocal that those guys are not options for that position. Um, and I think it would be hard to put a guy like Marwin or Christian in a leadoff position. So, I mean, what are the Red Sox options? We, we saw... You know, today, uh, Christian Arroyo let off, and I, I thought that was okay. Um, is there anybody that stands out to you who's like the clear leadoff guy who needs to be there? Are you still banging the drum for Verdugo? Yeah, I mean, I feel like Verdugo would be the best fit. Um, however, he doesn't feel comfortable in that spot. And if he's not comfortable there... Uh, and that's going to be in his head, then you, I don't think you can go with him. Right. Um, Jaron Duran seems like a great option. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if I'm yeah. if I'm being fully honest. Uh, but of the guys who are currently up at the major league level, um, I think this is going to shock you. But I'm going to say Christian Arroyo, I think, would be a great option there. Well, I'm going to shock you back. I agree. <laughs> yeah. If, uh, well, I mean, Christian Arroyo himself has... I've come around on him, and he's done that. But you also touting him has has convinced me to believe. But yeah, today was the, the lineup for today against Miami was the first time that Kiki Hernandez was starting in the lineup and not leading off. Uh, it was Danny Santana again. Uh, Santana's 
I mean, he hasn't been good in a leadoff spot, but he really hasn't been effective anywhere else either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, it, it's just so weird to see, um, you know, maybe this is an analytics thing, but like there was such an emphasis, there used to be such an emphasis on who hit leadoff. Now there's the data to show you should have your best hitter uh, hitting second, which with all due respect to Verdugo, I don't think that's him, but he's a good fit in that position. But it seems yeah. like they've then, they, like they've done a full 180 and just completely tossed out who's leading off, which of course only matters for the very first at bat of the game. But um, they don't seem too concerned with who they have there uh, and who you know is is comfortable uh, with it, and they're just kind of letting people go. Um, I don't think it's a huge issue. Uh, if it's not affecting the rest of the lineup and the, the guys that they have, everyone that you just mentioned, that's two through five, two through six is such a good hitter that it doesn't matter who's hitting in front of them and they're going to score runs and they're going to win games because of it. It's not something that's struggling down through the rest of the, of the lineup, having somebody struggling in that spot. So as long as that continues to be the case, I don't really care who's there. Um, mm-hmm. But I think when Duran gets here, uh, maybe not right away, but eventually it'll be his spot in the lineup. Yeah, uh, I think I probably agree with that. I'm just trying to think of like anyone else who it would be. The only thing that kind of might screw with that is that Duran is a left-handed bat uh, and, and Verdugo is a lefty. So you'd be going double lefties to start the game. Um, and right now, this year, I mean... He's been Cora has been going with Kike a righty, or Santana a switch hitter, or Arroyo a righty. So, you know, I don't know if he would have strong feelings about that. But then also, like, it would be easy enough to shift around things. Like, I don't know. Xander makes a ton of sense in the two spot, but he's such a good hitter at driving runs in. I don't think you want to move him out of the cleanup spot. So I don't know. It, it does get interesting. Would you be okay with going two lefties in a row at that point? Yeah. Okay. Let's get wild. Yeah. It's more than the Yankees can do because they don't have any lefties. Boom. Roasted. <laughs> All right. Um, so yeah, we still haven't figured out lead off, but you know, hopefully that will re- resolve itself at some point soon. Uh, shall we get to some listener questions, Keaton? We shall. All right. First one comes from Jake, which is not me. He says, is the Duran hype getting out of control? He's nearly 25. He's still a question mark in the outfield and his hit tool isn't elite. There's a lot riding on that newfound power. Is Aaron Hicks his high-end pro comp, whereas I think a lot of fans think he's going to be George Springer? Keaton, this one elicited a passionate response from you, so take it away. So, mainly it was that first sentence, Um, or I guess the first part of the second (laughs) sentence. Um, I don't think the hype is getting out of control. I think um, Springer might be a little bit aggressive, just because Springer has shown... Uh, at times a lot more power um so i don't but i mean i don't think the power is you know, something that's going to hold him back because i i believe in it uh now seeing it here outside of the outside however 
Um, he is currently 24 in AAA, and he was a 21-year-old when he was drafted. He has had uh, half a season in 2018, a full season in 2019, nothing in 2020, and a very small season here in 2022. All told, three seasons of uh, three like full years of what would have been full minor league if you include uh, 2020. That's right on track with what his development should be for a guy that was drafted at 21 years old. I think um, why that jumped out to me is because the fact that we have Fernando Tatis, Ronald Acuna Jr., Juan Soto playing Major League Baseball right now is just stupid. We're so spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> like this, this doesn't happen like once in a generation <laughs> to have guys like that. Um, the fact that he is about to turn... Um, I think he's got three months until he turns 25, so he should debut as a 24-year-old, um, is just right on track with what his progression should be. And if they hadn't lost 2020, um, you know, it'd, it'd be a year earlier. Um, guys normally make their debuts at this age. That's not – the fact that, uh, you know, he's almost 25, I don't think is a – negative mark against him um especially with having lost the season of minor league development yeah i i agree with you keaton uh on on pretty much everything you said there and i also want to note that you know today's updated baseball america uh top 100 uh prospects list came out and uh the red sox had some very high risers on this uh tristan casas went from being 38th to 27th on the list. Jaron Duran jumped from 86th to 29, just two spots behind Tristan Casas, and they threw a 55 on his hit tool, which is yeah. the highest grade I've seen on that hit tool to go along with a 70 run in a 50 field. So I think that a lot of people are starting to see that the work ethic and the athleticism will eventually allow him to play a passable center field, and that the hit and power are so much better than we originally thought. Yeah, Fangraphs and MLB also have 55 on his hit, so it may not be elite, but it's certainly above average. Yeah, and it, it's it's playable enough for him to get to, you know, that newfound power. And I don't think that, I don't think that's going anywhere. So Neither I, do I. I'm buying the hype. I'm buying the hype big time. Uh, and also Downs was on here. I'm trying to find where Downs was. Okay, so Downs actually uh, dropped a little bit. Downs went from 59th to 69th. So Nice. Yeah, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, but I think that, I mean, what you just outlined where it's not just Homer fans, it's actual talent evaluators are saying right. the same things that we're excited about. So I don't think it's overblown to be really excited about what this guy could bring, and I don't think his age is... Uh, much of a factor it's not like i would be if he was 24 years old 24 years and nine months old um in high a then i would be concerned but he's on the brink of a major league debut should make that debut at 24 years old that's just right on track yep totally agree um and uh yeah 
All right, yeah. I, I thought I had something else there, and then I just, my brain imploded. All right, let's move on to the next listener question. Oh, yeah, I remember what it was. Okay. Um, Todd Frazier says he's the next uh, Mike Trout, so take that for what it's worth. Huh. Yeah, uh, Todd Frazier. Hey. Good, I've always said the best leader. talent evaluator in the game is Mr. Todd Frazier. That's right. Trust trust in the Frazier. All right, our next question also is tailor-made for you, Keaton. Tom <laughs> Kelly uh, says, is it too soon to say that the Red Sox won the Mookie deal? So here's the thing. When teams make a trade and one of the teams accomplishes the goal that it set out to accomplish immediately, to me, I think it kind of wipes away the win or the lost thing and it just becomes a trade that happened. Dodgers made the trade to win a World Series, and they did. That kind of just ends the conversation, right? It doesn't matter. Mookie could be the worst player in the world for the next 10 years. It doesn't matter. They wanted a World Series, and they got one, right? It's the exact same thing with Chris Sale. Like, uh, Yo Mankata and Michael Kopech looking pretty solid over there, the White Sox. And we look at um, Kopech and be like, oh, my God, it'd be so nice to have a young stud pitcher like that. When he won a World Series, it doesn't matter. Chris Sale could never recover from Tommy John, ever. The trade accomplished what it was supposed to do. So I don't look at it as a win-loss thing anymore um, because the Dodgers got exactly what they wanted. Yeah, and I and I almost, uh, you know, I, I agree with that to to a lot, to, to most, I agree with most of what you just said. Um, you know, the, the thing is that I think you kind of have to start judging the Mookie deal from like when that deal starts the the deal that they signed him to that 300 and whatever million dollar monster uh, that they signed Mookie to. So like if Mookie sucks for the rest of that deal, like good on the Red Sox for not caving and paying all of that money. Um, and, and Verdugo is a very productive player, but you know, you're absolutely right. They traded for that season of Mookie. They yeah. got Mookie. They won. So, you know, they would not, they would not go back on that deal. There's no way they'd be like, yeah, you know what? Give me Verdugo and his back issues for that season. Because for that particular season, that was the guy. Yeah. So, yeah, totally agree. And that's like the exact same thing with Sale. If he never recovers from Tommy John and just can never get it back again, never pitches again, I won't look at that as a bad trade because the Red Sox won our World Series and they got one. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, however, I will say, Red Sox fans who complained about this trade, ad nauseum, um, Verdugo, probably making you feel a little bit better about it, right? Yeah. You know, you could, I'm literally talking to you right now. You can just say my name. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad you're in the <laughs> Verdugo fan club here. Yeah, and I was when they made the deal. I just Mookie was my favorite player, and he's very good at baseball. And I thought that he could have helped the team more being on it. Yeah, Verdugo's a great player, though. He mic'd up the other night. <laughs> Yankee Stadium was great. Oh, he's the best. He is. No one has more fun playing baseball than Alex Verdugo does, and it's clear that his energy is infectious. And he is. Uh, he's always in Cora's ear too, man. It always seems like he wants to learn something. Rafi Devers is a pretty happy boy out there, though. He is a happy boy. <laughs> We've got a lot of happy boys on this team. Sure do. All right, our next question comes from Jason Crane, and he says, do you have a favorite moment of the season so far? 
Ooh. Um, I mean, the sweep of the Yankees. If I have to boil it down to like a specific event in a game. Um, shoot. I don't know. I'm going to go prob- with the sweep of the Yankees. I probably should have uh, prepared uh, for this one a little bit better better uh, <laughs> yeah i did not read the questions before we started recording either so. yeah um <laughs> it's hard to pick a particular moment especially like you know watching every game or or part of every game uh during the season there's just so much that that you see um i guess two two things that stand out to me um was being at the uh, game with my dad this year was really cool because I got to see Perez, who's my guy, um, and they won that game um, with a, a huge offensive output. So that was cool. But I think the the most important feeling moment of the year was definitely that sweep in Yankee Stadium uh, in totality. So I agree with you there, Keaton. But um, I'm trying to think of like if there's some signature play that we are omitting that is particularly important. I mean, they've had so many freaking comebacks. It's just like, yeah, <laughs> they, it's like hard to be like, Oh, that comeback win. Cause they have like 22 of them or something. So yeah, um, there was one early in the season where they came back like three times and then wanted an extras. I think yeah. it was against the Jays when like they both scored in extras that, that just felt like a 2018 win, so that one sticks out yeah. um, a little bit. I mean, obviously it doesn't stick out a lot because I can't pinpoint it, but I remember <laughs> it. <laughs> we talked about it. Yeah. My brain's processed a lot since since then, so. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, I mean, this season's been a joy. Uh, total, total difference uh, from 2020 and 2019 that were very frustrating, so this was much needed. Uh, next one comes from Forrest Blevins, and he says, biggest needs at the deadline. Uh, what would you say is the biggest need now that we've kind of talked about the bullpen being more of a strength than uh, it has been in the past? Well, I still feel like it's the bullpen. Okay. Um, I feel confident in it the way it's pitching now, and it, obviously it's been significantly better than I thought. But, uh, I mean, we just outlined how everybody has been inconsistent, you know, Taylor struggled. Now he's strong. Ottavino, we've detailed his up and down. Darwin's and Hernandez. Garrett Whitlock started out on fire. Hasn't been quite as strong lately, but still been strong. Barnes has really been the only consistent uh, pitcher in the bullpen from start to finish here. We had Matt Andres we didn't talk about, but he uh, he was your boy there for the first month of the season. Yeah, he was great. And he's kind of fallen off. So just more consistency in the bullpen, I think, is what they need. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that they definitely need more consistency. I think if I was looking at it from a complete outsider's perspective, I would look at the lack of production from first and second base and say that addressing one of those positions uh, with a better bat to maybe lengthen the lineup a little bit more would be the move. But, you know, with, with Casas and Downs looming um, at some point and them expecting better things out of Dahlbeck and in Marwin and, you know, some of the other guys of Royo playing second base. I don't necessarily know that they'd go that way. The thing that I think would be the best thing for them to do is, is go out and get that Max Scherzer, that impact starter that you can sign in the future as well. That just like, 
makes this rotation head and shoulders above the other teams that you're competing against. And, uh, you know, I, I think that would be a huge spiritual lift for the team, huge on the field lift and just a, a death knell or a gut punch to the Yankees in, in Toronto, you know, two teams that are hurting in their rotations right now. Yeah. So that would be in the knockout punch. And uh, our last question comes from Jesse, and he says, what do we do at leadoff? What's wrong with Kike? Uh, well, hopefully we already addressed your question there. Um, Kike just hasn't been getting on base enough, um, and and I think he will be better. But, you know, don't expect Kike to all of a sudden turn into, like, some 300 hitter because that ain't him. Yeah. It's actually, like – his line for this year is remarkably similar to similar to his line last year and basically the same amount of games. Played 48 last year, he played 45 this year. Five home runs both season. Uh 4.1 walk rate. His walk rate's 6%, so it's slightly up uh this season. 21% strikeout rate, 23% this year. Uh hit 230 last year, he's hitting 224. Had a 270 OBP last year, he's hitting 277. Career 239 hitter. Um He's kind of just been himself. This is just who he is. Yep. <laughs> I completely agree, man. Like, you know, look, looking at this guy and expecting him to take some huge jump. He had an 83 WRC plus last year, 88 the year before, 118, which was his best season, then 92 and 67. So his 78 from this year is much more in line with most of his career than anything else. So, yep. We were expecting the jump uh, because Cora wanted him to make that jump, but he may might just be a really good complimentary player. He's probably yeah. not a starter on a on a championship team. It was right? more for his defensive ability than his offensive ability, right? I mean, it's the fact that he could play pretty solid defense at a bunch of key positions, and yeah, kind of what you got at the plate was gravy. Exactly. Yeah, he's more league average to slightly below at the plate. And a great clubhouse guy, great energy guy, great defense guy. So, yep. you know, important. These guys are important. And you can't over uh, overplay the importance of these guys on championship teams. But just, no, you know, don't expect uh, don't expect them to, to kill it. All right. Um, that does it for this edition of our show. We do hope you enjoyed this one, and thanks for tuning in to the show. Um, check out our other shows on the network. Uh, Keaton and Shelly do an amazing job with the Precap podcast. Uh, the Red Sox On Deck podcast with uh, Shelly and Bob Osgood is excellent for getting you caught up on all sorts of Red Sox prospect stuff. And then the Over the Monster podcast uh, gives you um, Matt Collins, you know, the, the, the biggest writer on our site, uh, as well as Brian Joyner, uh, sharing all their opinions about Red Sox stuff uh, as well. So all great shows. Tune into those. Uh, keep subscribing. Rate, review, uh, pump us up, and uh, shout us out on Twitter. You can find Keaton at The Spoken Keats. You can find me at, at Dev Jake, and you can find Over the Monster account at, at Over the Monster. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be with you again next week. 